You're listening to the Trainumentary. On this episode, we visit with producer Joel Dawn. Someone should listen to John Coltrane the same way someone should look at the paintings of Pablo Picasso or listen to the music of Beethoven or watch films of Babe Ruth playing baseball or watch anybody else who was at the absolute top of whatever game he was in. If the paragraph started with a sentence by Louis Armstrong, it ended with a sentence by John Coltrane. He really was the last step in the golden age of jazz. John Coltrane was really the crown jewel of the Atlantic Jazz catalog. And when he was signed to Atlantic by Ness Weirdigan in 1959, I think it was like 58 and 59 or 59 and 60, I forget exactly, he caught him as he like achieved warp speed. Before that, he was this controversial tenor player who people either loved or hated, who was with Miles' great sextet, the one with Cannon and, you know, Bill Evans and that crew. He had done an apprenticeship with Monk. So you either loved him or you hated him. It was a time when jazz fans argued, you know, like crazy people about what they liked, what they didn't like, what was good, what wasn't good. And Coltrane was smack dab in the middle of that. When he got to Atlantic, he did the Coltrane Jazz album, and then he did the Giant Steps album. And Giant Steps really was his first major, major statement as an individual, um, you know, jazz giant. After that, he did Favorite Things. And those two records, really, they were like the starting line for the rest of jazz. And his Atlantic years were the years where he became himself. As a disc jockey, I used to play Coltrane's records. I was a jazz disc jockey in Philly. Even after he was acclaimed, you know, and, and, and crowned, and, and all the stuff that happens to you when people finally get what you're doing, there were still people who would call the station and say, why are you playing that, man? You know, all he's doing is going up and down the horn and playing a lot of notes, and it's not necessary. You know, Bird really said it all, and this guy's just trying to go outside. You know, and other people would call, and they would say, oh, man, thank God you're playing Train, you know. And I'm not a big fan of his late work in terms of something that I would want to listen to, the really out stuff. And I saw him a lot in those years because I would come to New York to see him with the quartet. And it wasn't that like it was like going to see 
Gene Ammons and Sonny Stitt are going to see Cannonball, you know, playing all his hits or Horace or Blakey. Even when, like, he, he would play a song for, like, do a set, do an hour and a half and play, I can't even call them songs. I mean, he would, he would play half of a, you know, like a little bit of a melody and then they would all just go, you know. It wasn't fun, but it sure was something to observe. I mean, to hear a guy play for 40 minutes and it got to be pure energy. You know, it wasn't like, there weren't, there weren't solos you could go home and, and hum or that John Hendricks was going to write lyrics to. But there was an energy and there was a, a language that that group spoke inside itself. I never heard anything like that before, certainly, and certainly nothing since. It was just something. I mean, it, he did something that I don't think any other musician I ever, ever heard did. It, it was as if he was playing music but it really wasn't about music anymore at a certain point. It was about something else that I can't define for you. And also politically, I mean, it was a time when black consciousness was coming into its own, you know, socially and politically and spiritually. And he was the voice of that. And there were people who came and saw him, I remember, young black cats. They more admired what he stood for than the fact that they could pop their fingers to what he was doing. He was some force. I was in his presence a few times. I knew every jazz musician there was to know when I was a kid, because between the radio and working for Atlantic Records, you know, I was on that scene. I didn't know Train. You know, he, he was other. He was only about what he was about. I was at his funeral. It was some moment, man. Whew. You could feel something in that room that I never felt at any other funeral in my life. I did two uh, Coltrane projects. I did like a two CD set called uh, The Last Giant for Rhino, which had taken control of the Atlantic catalog. Tried to make it a bit of an anthology. And then I did The Heavyweight Champion, which was the complete Atlantic John Coltrane, with stuff I'd found that nobody had ever heard before. Uh, most importantly, the series of sessions where Giant Steps came to be. So I had that and I had the developmental uh, uh, progress of Naima and uh, it was an honor to work with Train's material and I really tried to serve him, his memory and certainly the music.
For more information on the program, visit trainumentary.blogspot.com.